If you have your Bibles, electronic devices, you can click to turn to with me. First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, First Thessalonians chapter three is where, is where we will be. And so, if if by chance you don't have a Bible with you, or like a Bible app on a phone or a tablet or something like that, no worries. The words are going to come up on the screen as 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 we walk through this. And so, if you're with us last week, you know that we started in a series, just walking verse by verse, and uh, and we're we're handling a little bit of different through First Thessalonians because we're we're grabbing uh, some of Paul's thoughts through the way. And so, but today we'll be in First Thessalonians chapter two. We're going to look at a few verses. We'll walk through this together. And so to catch us all up in case you weren't able to be here last week and stream it or whatever. Uh, Paul is writing back to this church in Thessalonica. He had gone there uh, to plant the church and, and uh, the church took off and the church was doing great. And then all of a sudden, some prominent people within the community got upset because he was, he was, he was affecting everything in that community. And they, they felt that he was developing a riot or bringing people against uh, the community, that, that he was telling people that your allegiance to Jesus should be higher than any other thing. And so as a result of that, they started persecuting him. And so he thought it was best that he leave. And so he left. And so it was a new church plant. And so he was really concerned that the church would survive because he left it in the hands of some pretty inexperienced believers. And so he had some anxiety over that. He had some stress over that. He sends Timothy back to check on them, to give a report to him because he's worried. And then he starts writing the letter back to, to, uh, the, th to the church there in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. He wrote two letters. And he's trying to help them understand this is church. Uh, he's trying to mentor them. So really and truly, it's like you are overhearing a conversation between a pastor and a church as he's guiding them. So I think there's a lot that he has to say to us especially in the times in, in which we live. And so I've entitled this message, A Place of Confidence. And so the question is, is where do you get your confidence? Where do I get my confidence? Um, Paul came to the place to where he realized how much God loved him. And when Paul came to the place where he realized how much God loved him, it changed everything for Paul. See, there was a, there was a time in Paul's life that Paul believed that his confidence came from, from popularity his, his confidence came from what people said about him. His popularity came or his confidence came from his education, his success, his circumstances, his situations. And as a result of that, Paul never really had any confidence. And then he came to the place, he understood how much God loved him, and he realized that his confidence doesn't come from people, it doesn't come from situations, doesn't come from uh, circumstances, but it only comes from him, from, from the Lord. And it changed, it was a game changer for Paul. And that's why, like the psalm says what? It says, put your hope, put your hope in God. Because we live in a time, we live in a season where a lot of people are telling you where you should put your hope, right? I mean, they're telling you. If you want to get confidence, you put your hope in a government. You put your hope in policies. You put your hope in, in economy. You put your hope in popularity and what people say about you. And so there's a lot of people telling you and telling me this is how you get confidence. And we know, we know, listen, if you've ever put your hope if you've ever put your confidence in a person, a situation, a circumstances, you know you will go through some disappointment. And so we come to this place where Paul is going to help us. And listen, I am praying. I have prayed really hard that I have a word from the Lord for each one of you. And that you understand where your confidence comes even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Paul writes to Timothy in, in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and he was mentoring uh, Timothy, and Timothy was like this new pastor. And he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, and he said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. I mean, this is a word, right? 
but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And so what Paul is trying to help Timothy to understand is, Timothy, I need to let you know, whatever you have, you share. Whether you realize it or not, whatever you have, you share. If you, guess what? If you have fear, you're going you're, you're gonna to share fear. Fear is contagious. Have you ever noticed that? It just takes one person to be, become fearful. It, it, it can be contagious. Anxiety. If you have anxiety, guess what? Anxiety is contagious. It just takes one anxious person to get everybody else dealing with anxiety and some other things. And then Paul says, oh, and the opposite is true. This issue of faith, faith is contagious. Whatever you have, you're going to share. You're going to share. So Timothy, walk in faith and understand, just understand where your confidence comes from. Now, listen, I have, a, I have an illustration. I want to introduce you to a friend via a Zoom video in just a second. And I, I, I shared the story last week about my buddy uh, Igor, Pastor Igor in the Ukraine. He's in Kiev. And so I, I told the story about a year ago. A seminary approached me and said, would you mentor uh, some international pastors in some under, underreached places of the world? And I'm like, absolutely. So that's one of the things, that's one of the, the good things that have come out of COVID is we, Zoom works and we can have conversations and we can meet people. And, I, and by the way, I have Zoom ninja skills. I just wanted to brag. <laughs> And so I told you that Pastor Igor is in Kiev, and, and he pastors a church, Resurrection Church there. And so, I mean, we're, we're on Zoom a lot with each other. I know him. I know his family. Uh, he was trying to relocate his family, I, uh, you know, last week. Uh, he was trying to relocate them. At one time, he wanted to get them to Poland, then he wanted to get them to Romania. He worked out the plans because he wanted his wife and his kids to be safe. And then he was going to go back in and pastor his church, and then he gets COVID, and so he can't travel. So he's, like, stuck in Kiev. And so this last week, it was Thursday night. It was, uh, it was 10, 30, 11 o'clock his time. He has COVID. We're talking, and I'm like, Pastor Igor. I have Zoom ninja skills. I'm going to hit record, and I'm going to ask you two questions. How are you doing, and how can we pray for you? And I want to play it for my church. I want them, I want them to hear it from you. Because I'm telling you, in this conversation, he encouraged me. The confidence this man has with Russia at his border, and they've said, Putin has already said he's going to go all the way to Kiev if this happens. That's where he lives, trying to relocate his family. And so he said, absolutely. So after he yelled at his kids and told his kids to shut up, <laughs> we edited that part out. I hit record. So here's, here's Pastor Igor. Well, I have with me uh, Pastor Igor, my friend from, uh, from the Ukraine, and he pastors Resurrection Church. And so I am asking him uh, to tell our church about his situation and then how we can, can pray for him his family, and his church. So, Igor, go ahead. Let them know what's going on. Uh, thank you, Pastor Charlie, for your prayers. And uh, uh, that uh, situation in Ukrainian is so, like, uh, scare, and people have, like, anxiety because news is so bad. Uh, it's because, like, uh, you, uh, Putin and Russia they try to invite Ukrainian and uh, approximately 100,000 uh, soldiers uh, on broad of Ukrainian and 1,000 tanks, artillery, and, uh, and then you can, you, you, can, you can imagine what's happened. And then also it's like people very value our freedom and we don't want 
to come back in uh, past Soviet Union time and we have direction we would like to direct for Western and we're fighting for that 2013 and but uh, our, uh, now it's situation is like uh, so 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 badly and please pray for peace in Ukrainian and then uh, please pray for uh, God give me wisdom how to work with people how to encourage them and also it's very important how we can prepare for if if the war will happen how can I pastor and our church to serve our uh, people and please pray for that and also please pray for my family because I would like to evacuate them for a short period of time about you that did something to me to see a man in that type of a that type of a situation and then to hear the things that he's asking us to pray for protection of his family wisdom he's like Charlie I'm telling you he said the gospel is open wide right now the people that are coming to Christ and trying to minister to them and just Give me, ask the Lord to give me wisdom to lead because he's going to relocate his family and he's going to go and he's going to go back in and pastor. And he says, I, I know, I know I could lose my life, but I, I have a call on my life. And so I would just ask, the fact is I would ask that you would remember Pastor Igor. Uh, there are some things that we're going to do to fin financially help them through the church and some other things and, and that you would continue to, to pray for him and to pray for his family. And so, so if you're... If you're going to have that type of confidence, if you're going to have a type of confidence that is not found in this, a solid confidence that is, that, that is not wavering, that it cannot be found in this world, and it has to be found in the Lord. And so I want to give you three things this morning. Listen, let me tell you something. I, I just want to warn you, these principles keep getting harder for us to, not so much to understand, because they're simple principles, but for us to receive, for us to accept, and then for us to apply. And so I want to give you three principles that if you're going to have confidence like Pastor Igor, or if you're going to have confidence when you go through difficulty, or you go through challenges or whatever, then, then where do you place your confidence and how do you get that? So the first thing is this, you have to know God. That's where it starts. I know that sounds simple. I am not talking about know some facts about God, know some statistics about God, know some things about God. I am talking about this issue. I'm talking about gospel implication. I am talking about this issue where you know him. You know him personally. You know him intimately. When you rise in the morning, you spend time with him. You open up the scriptures. You allow him to speak. Why? Because you have placed your confidence, your hope in him, and he has a word for you. And so this is what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, just, just a couple of verses. He says, for yourselves know, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to believers, right? He's talking to people at, at the church in Thessalonica that on our visit with you, was not without results. You know why? There were some people that were saying, Paul, you wasted your time. Paul, you're not enough. Paul, you should have been better. And then he goes, on the contrary, 
After we had previously suffered, were treated outrageously in Philippi. As you know, we emboldened by our God to speak the gospel of God in spite of what? In spite of not just some opposition, but in spite of some great opposition. Little bit of history about Paul. Paul was in Philippi before Thessalonica. Paul's in Philippi. He is preaching. He has planted this church. He's been beaten. He's been tortured. He's been thrown in in prison, uh, he, he's being asked to like like leave town, and and uh, uh, some, and then he goes to Thessalonica, and he says, "Well, hopefully things will be better in Thessalonica." And he goes in Thessalonica, and it's like deja vu all over again. I mean, he goes through almost the same situation, and he goes down to the synagogue, and he starts preaching in the synagogue, and some prominent women leaders in their community accept Christ, and these women start house churches. They start they start a ministry, and it's like turning turning Thessalonica like upside down. And as a result of that, he starts he goes through the same thing again, and he leaves. And they say, Paul, you're just, you're just not enough. And they're criticizing him. And Paul's like, I stake my ministry on the gospel. So the question is, what is the gospel? Because I think a lot of times the reason that we don't have confidence, it's a gospel issue. We truly do not understand the gospel, the implications of the gospel. The gospel is more than just where we're going to spend eternity, right? The gospel is how we live our life. When you and I understand the gospel, it changes everything. It changes how we handle relationships. It changes how we make decisions. It changes how we give our money. It changes how we give our time. It changes everything. And so Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he writes the definition, just a biblical definition, a working definition of the gospel. And he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. He said, for I pass on to you as what? As most important. So this is the foundation of our faith. This is the most important thing of our faith. What I also relieve that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to C uh, Cephas and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive. They're your neighbors. They're your coworkers. You can go down the street. You can ask them for, your, for, for yourself. They'll give you personal testimony of this. And then he says, but some have died. Some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one born at the wrong time. So now he's talking about himself. He said, he also appeared to me, for I'm the least of the apostles, not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. This is pre-Christian days, pretty bad stuff, right? He had a history. He had a past. I was the one that persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now he starts talking about deeper implications of the gospel. And his grace towards me, guess what? His grace towards me was not wasted. His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, yet not I. But the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, so we proclaim, so you have believed. So Paul is talking about this issue of the gospel. That the church understands the gospel. The church is, is, is ambassadors of Christ and helping people understand that when we come into community together, we gather together and we worship him. We worship the, the one that gave his life for us. And, and so the gospel, when you look at it, the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news that should give you and I confidence, right? Even when we as believers, even when we as believers, we do not mourn without hope, right? We'll try that again. We do not mourn without hope, right? 
Okay, some of you need to receive. Listen, I'm telling you. Listen, even, and, it, and it's not just for death. I mean, usually we use this, and I understand the context, right? I understand the context, and in fact is, I'm telling you, I'm still trying to emotionally uh, process for myself just a, a picture of this yesterday. I did a funeral for, and uh, I did a funeral for a wonderful couple in our church yesterday at 10 o'clock. And she had passed away. They'd been married 57 years. And, and so I'm, I'm doing this funeral in this room, and some of you were here. And the casket, her casket was here. Her husband, Alan, was seated, seated there. And I, I was seated here and, and would finish the funeral. And, 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 and so her favorite song she wanted, she wanted I Can Only Imagine played. That was the last song. And when that song came on, I'm sitting there. To, and, I mean, it was a moment. It was a moment. And all of a sudden, we watched Alan stand up, make his way, and he draped himself across her casket with that song playing, I can only imagine. And then all of a sudden, he stood up, and he started singing the words, worshiping. And I, I had front row seats. I had front row seats. I saw his face. And he's singing in a way that I can only imagine now, but one day. I will no longer have to imagine because I will be with you in heaven. It was just a moment. That's gospel confidence. That when we come to that place in life, yeah, we may mourn and we may be sad because we're going to miss them. But guess what? We do not grieve and mourn without hope. Why? Because of the, of the gospel. Oh, and guess what? It is just not for that moment. The gospel is not just for where we're going to spend eternity that all of our sins have been forgiven. The gospel has implications through our whole life. When we go through heartache and when we go through pain and when we go through difficult, guess what? Gospel implications is this. We have confidence in him. I mean, isn't Jesus the one that said, when you come to that place in your life and when you're, when you're pandemic wearied, when you're pandemic tired, when you're pandemic frustrated, when you're pandemic angry, when you're pandemic exhausted, guess what? You come to me, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. I mean, that's the gospel. That's gospel implication. See, a lot of times our problems, our problems is not understanding the implications of the gospel. And when we accept Christ and he comes into our life, what Paul said it is grace that is work in me. His grace is worked through me. It is the gospel that is working in my life. This message that Jesus Christ, who knew no sin, went to the cross, was beaten, was crucified, was buried, was dead in the grave. On the third day, he rose again. And because of that, we have forgiveness of sin, but because of that, we have confidence in him. Are you a messenger of this message? The confidence we have in him. Our story is that without Jesus, we were lost. And Jesus found us. And because we accepted him, we have newness of life. See, this was the source. This was the source of, of Paul's confidence. He never got over the fact that he was like the worst of sinners. That he was the guy that was persecuting the church. And guess what? God's grace still covered him and forgave him. And because of that, he had newness of life. It is, it is God, what Paul is saying, it is God who called me. And there were those that were saying that, that Paul's ministry was in vain. And he said, it is not in vain. Fact is, when you and I go through the midst of conflict, you know what? 
It's when we learn who and what we're living for. When you use that statement, in, in spite of great opposition, other translations say in much conflict, and Paul is writing about this issue that it was in opposition, it was in conflict, that I knew where I found my confidence. That's why you have to know God. Listen, can I tell you something? You cannot live off the faith of another. You cannot live off of the faith, and I don't care how godly they are. You cannot live off of the faith of a husband. You cannot live off the faith of a wife. You cannot live off the faith of a pastor. You cannot, listen, let me just tell you something, just real quickly. Secondhand faith is just as dangerous as secondhand smoke. It will not, listen, it will, secondhand faith will not get you through the low points of life. It will not get you through opposition. It will not get you through conflict. It will not get you through those times where you really wonder if I am enough. The second thing is this. Not only must you know God, you have to know that God approves of you. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm talking that, that these principles don't become easier. Actually, they become harder. In other words, it's, it's a little bit like systematic theology that one principle builds off the other. You can't have one without the other. So the first thing is you have to know that God loves you. But the second thing is you've got to know that God approves you. And that's where a lot of people have difficulty, right? Especially when they have trouble, especially when they have opposition, especially when they have people like Paul that saying, hey, what you did here, it's in vain. You're not enough. You should have been more. You should have done more. And so you look at this in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3. He says, so that no one will be shaken by these afflictions. You've got to know where your confidence is. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. In fact, when we were with you, we told you in advance that we were going to experience affliction. And as you know, it happened. He's, he's, like, he's like Pastor Igor. I'm try, I tried to prepare you for this. I told you in advance this was going to happen. This should not be a surprise to us. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I also sent him to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. But now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us the good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as long as, as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and affliction, we were encouraged about you through your faith. For now we live if you stand firm in the Lord. And so Paul is trying to help them to understand that, listen, you've got to know God approves of you. God approves of you. It's his grace. That's gospel implication. That's understanding the gospel. Part of understanding the gospel, yes, is a theological that Jesus Christ came, died for our sins, rose on the third day. But deeper implications to receive that means, guess what? God, God approves of me. And so what's interesting about Paul, when people were, were in opposition against him, he didn't make it personal. He just he clearly stated some facts. And he clearly walked through that because, see, Paul knew. Paul knew. Paul knew who he was and whose he was. That I am, I am his, verse 9 in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 9. He just says, for, for you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not be a would not burden any of you. And we preached what? We preached God's gospel to you. That's the foundation of the church. That's the foundation of our faith. And Paul was saying, you know what? The most important thing I can teach you, I can teach you the gospel. And I can teach you the implications, gospel implications in your life. And Paul is saying, you know what? I, I lived a transparent life. No, I was not perfect. None of us are perfect. 
And I, I lived a transparent life with you, and I did life with you, and I ministered to you, and I helped you. And I preached the, church, the truth, and we watched the Holy Spirit change lives. It was not me that changed lives. It was the Holy Spirit that changed lives. And Paul, listen, Paul understood that, guess what, that the gospel is not for us to change to please people. Paul understood this issue of the gospel, that we're carriers of the gospel. Some of the friends, and I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but some of your friends, they don't know the gospel. And so instead of going for coffee or lunch and hanging out and talking about politics and talking about policies, how about talk about the word? How about talk about what God has done for you? Some people can, are more comfortable sharing sound bites from Fox or CNN or Facebook statistics or some of those other things. But how about this? How about learn to, to share sound bites of his word and what he has done in your life and how he has encouraged you to where you help people just to trust him in difficult times. First Thessalonians 2.6, he says, he says, we didn't seek glory from people either from you or from others. So if we're honest, right? If we're honest, there is glory that comes from people. But it comes at a high cost. If you seek glory from others, it will come at a high cost because guess what? You will no longer have lasting confidence because your confidence will only come with your popularity ratings, right? If, if a lot of people say you're great, then, then you can have some confidence. But all of a sudden, and, and, and people change. And when you look at this, you realize that Paul was just honest and said, hey, and there was a time, there was a time that Paul sought glory from people, and he knew the cost that he came at. The third and the last thing is this, you, you not only got to know God, you have to know that God approves of you, you have to know God loves you. And you have to be able to receive that. If you ask, if you ask a lot of people, right, and I've asked some people, hey, how do you know God loves you? Oh, you know what? I'll, I'll just wait to judgment day. I'll wait till the day I die. And, and if, if I've done good, more good stuff than bad stuff, or if God lets me in, in heaven, then, then I'll know that he loves me. That is not confidence. That is no way to live your life. If you are living your life hoping to get in, hoping to do more good stuff than bad stuff, then you'll never live life with confidence knowing that, guess what? Knowing God, knowing that he loves you, and knowing that he approves of you. And so Paul, Paul understood these gospel implications. Listen, if, if you've been life journaling with us, and I hope you have been, that we're life journaling right now through, through Exodus. And, and, and we came to this place to where, where Moses went through a really, really difficult time. And so he lost his confidence, and, and his confidence was in people. He was trying, to, he was trying to, to get his approval from people. He was trying to seek glory from people. And he went through a bad leadership decision, went through a bad stretch. He's having this conversation with the Lord, and, and he says, Lord, I, can, can, you, can I just see your glory? Can I, can I see your goodness? Now listen, you, you know one of my verses for this year is, is that, that I will see the, uh, the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and just trying to call that out. And so a lot of times the reason we don't see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living because we have a bad understanding definition of what the goodness of the Lord is. 
A lot of times we think the goodness of the Lord is when he answers all of my prayers. He gives me that job. He gives me that promotion. He gives me that relationship I've always wanted. He gives me the vacation I've always wanted. And so we think a lot along those lines that that's the goodness of the Lord. And so here's the crazy thing. God answers that question for Moses. And God tells Moses in Exodus 33, he said, you know what? I'm going to let my goodness, my glory pass in front of you. So look at this. Let's just capture this in Exodus chapter 34. Uh, Verse 6, it says, it says, the Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord is a compassionate and gracious, good, good God. And so now all of a sudden we're going to get a true definition of what is the goodness of the Lord in the land of living. Slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations, forgiven inequity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of father's iniquity on children, grandchildren, third generation. We'll understand that. Fourth generation. And then verse 8, Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped him. Why? Because for the first time, Moses understood that's the goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord is this faithful love. The goodness of the Lord, we would say, would be the gospel. The goodness of the Lord is God's faithful love. It's his forgiveness. It's his, in fact, is several times he, he, he uses his phrase, steadfast love, faithful love. And so if you take the Hebrew and you, you transliterate that out, then, 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 then probably a better definition or for us to understand, you could take steadfast, faithful love, to, and you could change a word out and say irrevocable love. God's love for you, listen, God's love for you is irrevocable. That's the gospel. God's love for you is irrevocable. And I mean, isn't, isn't that really what we're looking for as humans? Don't we want to be in a relationship to where, you know what, their love for me is like irrevocable, right? I mean, isn't that what we're all looking for? And God says, the goodness of the Lord is, guess what, my love for you, it is, it is irrevocable. It is, it is irrevocable. If someone tells you, well, you know what? You can like lose your salvation. says, no, I can't. Why? Because God's love, irrevocable. You can't be in the family one week and out, the, out of the family the next week. It is irrevocable. And so when you look at this issue, we, we, we understand this, right? It's hard for us to understand irrevocable love because human love, if we're honest, at, at, at some level is revocable. I mean, we've all been hurt. We've all been disappointed by people. And humans can revoke a lot of things. But what we're really looking for is irrevocable love. I mean, we want irrevocable love in marriage and dating and relationships and families. And and we want a steadfast love, but humans are challenged in that area. But God, God says, my goodness, my love for you is irrevocable. And for me. I just have an inquiring mind, and I just want to know. I want to know in some real terms, what is this irrevocable love? And so I, I, went, to, I went to Webster, and I'm just going to read, and I know this is when the sermon gets really exciting is when the pastor reads out of the dictionary. <laughs> but here's what Webster says. I'm telling you, here's what Webster says about irrevocable. Beyond, beyond recall, binding, final, firm, fixed, immutable, impossible to change, lasting, permanent, settled, unalterable, unavoidable, unchangeable, without appeal, certain, conclusive, decisive, decisive definite, ironclad, necessary, positive, and stable. He says, I have an irrevocable love for you, and my love for you is ironclad. My love for you is binding, final, fixed, firm, definite, 
immutable, irrevocable, unmovable, impossible to change. That's the love that I have for you, regardless of what you go through, regardless of what you walk through, regardless hurt, pain, regardless of any failure. And some people can say, well, wait a minute, what if I sin? Man, what if I sin? Listen, his love for you cannot be revoked. And it is not based upon your character. It's based upon his character. And that's why he says he has his love. I get it. I get it. Oftentimes, human love is revoked. And human love can be conditional. I'll love you if. I'll love you until. But not his love. If we're not careful, we will, we will take human love and push that on to God. But God says, I have a human love. I don't have a human love. I have an unconditional love. And that's why he says, Exodus 34, 6, he said, The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and in truth. And you see this in Moses' life. It just, it, just, it just changed. It changed everything. In human love, there can be people around you telling you, you know what, guess what, you're just not enough. You're just, you're just not enough. And if we're, if we're careful, if you're not careful, you will believe those voices over God. And you will come to the place to say, you know what, I, I'm not enough. But can I just tell you, gospel implications here, God says you're enough. And listen, I know this is hard for people to accept, but God says you're enough. When you come to the end of yourself, you're still enough. It means that when you're on the job site, in your office, with the door locked and practicing deep breathing because you're so overwhelmed, you're enough. It means when you've locked yourself in a bathroom stall at work crying out, God, I cannot do this work. If I could retire today, I'd retire today. If I could quit, I would quit today. I cannot deal, I cannot deal with this, in, in this, this environment. It's impossible, it's impossible for me to do this one more second. I don't want to do it. I can't. And in that desperate moment, you are enough. It means when you're angry and frustrated with a coworker, a friend, a family member, and you have lost your temper again, that you are still enough. It means that when you come to the end of yourself and you're out of emotion and you're out of your resources and when you're out of energy, the Father whispers to you, I have never loved you as much as I love you right now at this moment. And because of the gospel, you are enough and I love you. It makes you and it makes me just rethink the expectations not only of ourselves or our others. I am enough and you are enough. What if we sent that message to one another? I am enough and you are enough. And we encourage that the same way that the Father encourages us. And when we accept him and when we walk with him, we bring the very best version of ourselves to him. And we walk with him. And when we sin or when we fall, we just don't give up. We accept his forgiveness. We accept his love and we just keep walking with him. Aren't you glad the Father does not do performance reviews? Grace is the wisdom of the Father to see your stress, to see your anxiety, 
in the pain, and even before it arrives in your life, prepares a way. It's what Paul was saying. We told you this was coming. We told you this was going to happen. And the Father, the Father will walk with us through this. And here, here's the crazy thing. We'll close with this. He says, verse 7 in Exodus 34. He said, maintaining a faithful love to a thousand generations for, Nick, for forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children, grandchildren, third, fourth generation. And so that's not saying that you have to pay for the sins of your ancestors. What that is saying is sometimes we develop bad habits from grandparents and all the way down. But here's a crazy thing. He says that only goes down to the third and fourth generation, but I need to let you know my, my love for you goes down a thousand generations. My love for you is bigger than that. And then it says Moses immediately knelt low on the ground and worshipped him. Because for the very first time, he understood irrevocable love, steadfast love. That he immediately worshipped him. Maybe this morning, maybe, maybe you have never come to the place to where you, you totally understood the gospel. That Jesus Christ, who no, knew no sin, lived a perfect life. And he went to the cross on our behalf. And he took our sins on him. He was beaten. He was betrayed. He was crucified. He was buried. And on the third day, he, he rose again. And twice, I've been in his tomb in Israel. And I can tell you it's empty. It is empty. You can only see the place where they laid his body. His body is not there. Because he rose again. And when we accept him, he forgives us of all sin. And we start walking with him. And then the gospel implications are real, is when we realize that he has an irrevocable love for us. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? and.